This is Christian Book Blurb, brought to you by author and songwriter Matt McClary. Get a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the lives of some of your favourite Christian authors, hear about their books and faith. Also, why not check out my website, mattmcclary.com. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Christian Book Blurb podcast, where we like to encourage you in your discipleship one book at a time, as we meet some amazing Christian authors and learn about their books, their lives and their faith. I'm your host, Matt McClary. Thanks for joining me today. And on today's show, I'm going to be talking about the language of love with Dr. Gary Chapman. Dr. Chapman, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you. And some of our listeners, if they're tuning into this um, on the day that it goes live, will know that it's Valentine's Day today. I think it's quite an appropriate day to be speaking about the language of love. Um, So my first question is, are you doing anything special with your wife this Valentine's Day? (laughs) You know, we always celebrate Valentine's Day one or two days early. So we've already done that. Okay. (laughs) The reason reason is the restaurants are packed on that day. A day or two before, much nicer. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) good thinking, good planning. Uh, Do you think that having times to celebrate our relationships, such as Valentine's Day or two days before Valentine's Day, whenever it may be, um, is it important to have these times? Yeah, I think it's good to cooperate with uh, days that are set aside to celebrate certain things, you know, Christmas, Easter, other things like that. Uh, I, I think that's very positive. Uh, I think, you know, obviously it differs with different uh, individuals because some people have to work on holidays. Uh, but I think to to celebrate those things, I think is good, and especially things that relate, like to Valentine's Day, to love and relationships. So uh, I just like make the most of whatever is available in the culture. Yeah. And um, you have been um, a marriage counselor, I believe, um, as well as you've been you've been married yourself for a number of years. Um, Why are relationships in general? Why are they so difficult? I think in one word. Selfishness. Mm. (laughs) We are all by nature self-centered. There's a good part to that because we we feed ourselves, we get sleep, we get exercise. That's a good part to that. But Mm. whenever that becomes selfishness, in which we're approaching all of life in terms of what am I getting out of this, I think that's the big problem in relationships. We we allow our natural nature, which is self-centered, to control our behavior in relationships. And so with a marriage relationship, for example, the attitude we have is, you're supposed to make me happy. I married you so you'd make me happy. And when two people have that attitude, they're not going to have a good marriage because love is the attitude that creates a healthy marriage. And love's attitude is, I'm here to enrich your life. If you can tell me how I can help you become the person you think God wants you to be, I'm here for you. That's the attitude of love. But without that, I think uh, it's selfishness that makes it difficult to have a good relationship. Mm, mm. And that's that's really good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but speaking of difficult difficulties in relationships and, and in marriages, I mean, I'm married myself, and and I'll be completely honest. Um, you know, we we have times where we don't understand each other, or we we you know 
wind each other up or or get on each other's nerves or you know um there are times when things are not great um but as being an an author of books about sort of love and understanding love um have you experienced times in your relationships or even in your marriage where it hasn't been um all wonderful and you know everything going well have you have you experienced difficulties in in marriage you know my man in the early years of our marriage we had lots of problems first of all i did not know that i was going to come down off that high that we typically call falling in love or being in love i was always told if you've got the real thing it's gonna last forever now we know the average lifespan of those euphoric feelings is two years some a little longer some a little less and we come down off that high. And my wife and I had dated for two years before we got married. I came down pretty soon after the honeymoon. And wow. had, had lost those feelings and then had negative feelings because we argued. You know, I mean, when you're in love, you don't think you'll have conflict. But in the real world, two humans are always going to have conflict because we don't think the same way. We don't have the same emotions. And so we ended up arguing. Yeah, I tried to convince her. I was right. She tried to convince me. I remember one night we were having an argument. It was pouring down rain outside. In the middle of the argument, my wife walked out the front door into the rain. And Mm. I thought, man, this is bad. When a woman Mm. walks in the rain, it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't turn around overnight. You know, again, I think because we were selfish. We were self-centered. And, uh, I remember in desperation what I did and, and what really turned my marriage around uh, is I just said to God, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I know to do. It's not getting any better. I said, if anything, it's getting worse. And as soon as I said that, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. And I just heard God say to me, that's the problem in your marriage. You do not have the attitude of Christ toward your wife hit me like a ton of bricks because mm-hmm. I knew that was not my attitude. My attitude was something like, look, if you'll listen to me, we'll have a good marriage. <laughs> she wouldn't listen to me. And I blamed her, you know, for our poor marriage. But that day I got a different message and I just said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I, I was in seminary studying to be a pastor two weeks after we got married. And I said, with all my study of theology, I'm missing the whole point. And I said, please give me the attitude of Christ toward her. In retrospect, it's the greatest prayer I ever prayed about my marriage because God changed my heart and gave me a desire to serve her. And three questions made it practical. And when I was willing to ask these three questions, things began to change. They're simple questions. First one is, honey, what can I do to help you? Second question, how can I make your life easier? Third question, how can I be a better husband? And when I was willing to ask those questions, she was willing to give me answers. <laughs> when I started mm. doing those things, uh, it, didn't turn, it didn't turn around overnight. But within three months, my wife started asking me those three questions. What can I do to help you? How can I make your life easier? How can I be a better wife? And we've been walking this road a long time now, in which I've been reaching out to her. She's been reaching out to me. In fact, I told her recently, I said, you know, honey, if every woman in the world was like you, there'd never be a divorce. Why would a man leave a woman who's doing everything she can to help him? And my goal through these years has been to so serve her that when I'm gone, 
She'll never find another man that treat her the way I've treated her. <laughs> the woman's <laughs> gonna miss me. <laughs> so some some people listening to to what you've just described um, might be finding it a bit difficult to reconcile. You know where the Bible talks about wives submit to your husbands, um, the husband being the the head of the the, the wife and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But but you talking about serving your wife and then of course then your wife serving you um, in return um sort of living for the betterment of of the other how, yeah. how do you reconcile that well you know the passage there in ephesians that says husbands love your wives or i'm um, pardon me the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church many people have taken modern uh terminology and said well what that really means is he is the president she is the vice president or he is the general and he decides what's going to be done. No, no, no. They miss the model. The model is Jesus. He's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What did the head of the church do for the church? He died for the church. So mm -hmm. it's a loving leader. And those words should never be separated. A loving leader. He takes initiative in reaching out to do what Jesus did with his disciples and with everybody he encountered. I mean, he, he went about doing good, the Bible says. So, uh, you know, I, I do think many people have misunderstood that and the husbands see themselves in a, in a, a role of being domineering. But when you serve your wife and you lead in serving, you touch her heart. And most wives will respond to a husband like that. And, and, and that's, I think that's what God intended. Listen, God did not ordain marriage to make people miserable. He made us for each other, you know? And when we serve each other, you know, and, and, and obviously we're doing it in different ways because we're two different people. But when we have the attitude of love uh, toward the other person, not, not feelings. It starts with an attitude, an attitude of love, an attitude of service. Uh, we're going to be moving in the right direction. As, as you said um, a bit earlier on, the, the picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is what impacted you. And of course, that's how Jesus yeah. treated um, sort of the disciples, the, the start of his church, the, the sort of the, the start of his bride, as it were. So yeah. it, 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 does, it does fit together really, really well. Thank you. Um, and you're speaking of developing these new ways of behaving towards your wife in, in the early days um, to try and turn your relationship around. Is this where your understanding of what have now become called, I think you've called them this, um, the love languages, is this where it began or did that sort of come from somewhere else? Well, you know, in those days, I would not have used the term love languages. I knew, I knew nothing about that, that term. I just knew my heart had to be changed. And so I would not have called it love languages. I really discovered the love languages in my counseling office. Counseling after many, many years, and they would sit in my office, and one of them would say, I just don't feel any love coming from my husband or my wife. We're just like roommates living in the same house. And the other one would say, I don't understand that. I don't know why she wouldn't feel loved. I do this and this and this and this and this. Why would she not feel loved? Or why would he not feel loved? And I knew that, that they were sincere. In their mind, they were loving the other person. But the other person wasn't getting it emotionally. And so I, I finally sat down and re uh, read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling and asked myself, 
when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories, and I call them the five love languages. And I started using that in my counseling. If you want her to feel loved, you've got to learn to speak love in her language. If you want him to feel loved, you've got to learn to speak love in his language. And I would challenge them. I'd try to help them discover each other's love language. Challenge them to go home and try it. And sometimes, Matt, they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. I mean, the whole climate's different now. And through the years, I've had numerous couples say to me when I would be leading a conference, that book saved our marriage. I mean, we, we just felt like we had no hope. We were too different. That book opened our eyes as to how we had been missing each other emotionally. And we started speaking the right language, and it absolutely changed the climate of our marriage. So then, that's, that's where the five love languages was more, put in my counseling office. Mm, great. Um, the, the love languages, um, our listeners, some may be really familiar with them, but others might not have heard of them before. This might be something yep. completely brand new. Um, I know you go into great detail into each of the different types of love language and how you can respond and give and show love and receive love and all of that in the book. Um, we obviously don't have time to um, go through all of that now. And of yeah. course, we want people to pick up a copy as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> But can you just give us um, a, a brief outline of these yeah. five love languages? When, when we talk about the love languages, what are we talking about? Yeah, one of them is words of affirmation. Just verbalizing to them things that you genuinely appreciate about them. You know, you look nice in that outfit. I appreciate what you did. Just looking for things that you can affirm. You can speak the words. You can write the words. I guess you could sing the words. But it's using words of affirmation. Second is acts of service. Doing something for the other person. There's an old saying, actions speak louder than words. If this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. And this is such things as in a marriage, Cooking meals, washing dishes, vacuuming floors, you know, mowing the grass, walking the dog, changing the baby's diaper, just, just doing mm -hmm. things you know, for the benefit mm -hmm. of the other person. And then there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me when we were apart. Look what they got for me. The gift doesn't have to be expensive. It really is the thought that counts. Not the thought left in your head, but the gift that came out of the thought in your head. Okay? <laughs> gift. And then quality time, giving the other person your undivided attention. I don't mean sitting there watching TV together. That someone else has your attention. Unless after the program's over, you cut the TV off and the two of you sit there and talk to each other about what you just saw. That's quality time. Giving them your undivided attention. And then number five is physical touch. Affirming physical touches. In a marriage, such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing the whole sexual part of marriage, the arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg. You know, just, just affirming touches. And the basic idea is that out of the five, each of us has what I call a primary love language. One of these is more meaningful to us emotionally than the other four. Now, we can receive love in all five ways. We're not going to turn any of them away. But if we don't receive love in our primary language, Likely, we will not feel loved, even though the person is speaking some of the other languages. So mm. that's the basic concept. 
thank you. It's very interesting you mentioned about the primary love language um, because some places where I go and, and loads of different people and organizations have picked up this teaching because yeah. it is, it's, it's really revolutionary. It's really amazing. Um, but for me, I, I tend to find that sometimes they, they, they kind of say, you've got one love language. And mm-hmm. is that right? Because my understanding was, as you say, there's a primary one, but then there's others. And, yeah. and it, do we just have one? Well, I think, uh, I think for most people, one is outstanding above the others. But having said that, I think there are many people in which two of them are very, very close. And I just say to them, you're bilingual. Okay, you speak two languages. That's all right. Or you receive two languages. Nothing wrong with that. And I, I, I never want to say only speak the primary language or only speak, you know, the two that are most important. Sprinkle in the others. You get extra credit yeah. for those. But the <laughs> others do not meet the basic need until you speak in yeah. the primary, you know, or the, or the two of them, whatever. Uh, they, they won't feel loved. But if you're speaking those two, then the others are just icing on the cake. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know, especially in, in my wife and I, um, before we got married, we, we did a, a pre-marriage course and, and the love languages as part of it. And we kind of did the survey. Um, they can find the survey online. We'll be giving you um, the website address for that if you're interested um, a little later on in the show. Um, but we did all that and we found our love languages and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes sense for us. A few years now down the path and we now have three children and life has moved on and things have changed. Actually, the other day, my wife and I um, looked at each other and we said, you know what? I think our primary love language has changed. And do you find that over time that, that your primary love language can change with circumstances and things? Yeah. Yeah. I think there are stages in life and circumstances where another love language may jump to the top. For example, when you have two or two preschool children, a wife's language may not have been acts of service, but during those years, it's probably yeah. going to be acts of service this because she's overwhelmed. Yeah. So yes, I think there are seasons of life and there are circumstances. Uh, for example, maybe uh, your spouse is on the phone and they find out that a family member has died and they start crying. Physical touch may not be their primary language, if you walk up and put your arms around them and let them cry, that's probably the most powerful thing you could do at that moment. So I think there are circumstances and seasons of life where another love language may jump to the top, yes. But on the other hand, I think for many people, it does tend, once you pass through those seasons or those circumstances, it kind of eventually goes back to where it was before. Not always, We've been focusing. sometimes. We've been focusing a lot on... Um, love languages and using marriage as an obvious example. Um, is it limited to just married couples? It applies in all human relationships. That's why I went on to write the five love languages of children because that one of the deepest needs that children have emotionally is to feel loved by their parents. And by nature, we love our children, but not all of our children feel loved. I, I say to parents, the question is not do you love your children? The question is do mm-hmm. the children feel loved? So I think it applies with children and uh, at all stages, children, teenagers. It applies to single adults. I wrote an edition for single adults, applying this to their relationship with their parents, their siblings, 
their college roommates, their work associates, you know, their dating partners. Uh, it applies in all human relationships because as humans, we all have a basic emotional need to feel loved by significant people in our lives. We actually took the concept to work and uh, wrote a book with a co-author called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And what motivated me to write that, uh, he had been working with businesses for 20 years. He's a psychologist, mm -hmm. Christian psychologist. And uh, we found that in our country, 70% of the people who have a job say they feel little appreciation at work. And 64% of the people who leave a job and go to another job say they left primarily because they didn't feel appreciated where they were. So it motivated us to write that book, and we've had tremendous response to that. Because when you have work relationships, you want to feel appreciated by the people that you work with and that you work for. If you do, you give 100%. If you don't, you're likely just to do enough to get by, you know? Mm. So it changes the work climate as well. Mm. And uh, we've talked about a survey that, that sort of adults can do online. How does it work with kids? Do, do they have to do like a questionnaire type thing? Or, or how do you tell what your child's love language is? Yeah, I think with children, with young children, uh, one of the primary ways is to observe their behavior. How do they respond to you most often? Uh, my son's uh, language, and I, and I think you can learn a child's love language at least by the time they're four years old, just by observing their behavior. My son, for example, his love language is physical touch. When he was that age, I came home from work. He would run to the door, grab my legs, and climb on me. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. My daughter never did that. At that age, my daughter would say, Daddy, come into my room, I want to show you something. She wanted quality time. She wanted my undivided attention. So I think with younger children, that's probably the best way. Now, uh, you can also listen to their complaints because the complaint mm -hmm. reveals the love language. In fact, I had a lady say the other day, she said, Dr. Chapman, my six-year-old son said to me, we don't ever go to the park anymore since the baby came. He's telling his mother, I used to have your undivided attention at the park. Now I don't, I'm not getting it. So you listen to the complaint from the child. And then also, what do they request most often? For example, our daughter in the teenage years, her most common request was, Dad, can we take a walk after dinner? She's asking me for quality time, the two of us, to take a walk together and talk together. So uh, I think if you put those three things together, you can pretty well figure out a child's love language. Now, you mentioned the online quiz. There is a quiz there for married couples. There's a quiz for single adults. There is a quiz also for teenagers. And so I think uh, that quiz can be helpful. Uh, you know, you make choices between two different things, and it'll tell you your primary and your secondary, you know, love languages. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that's great. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, how does your faith, how did your Christian faith influence or infuse the whole love languages concept? Well, I think, first of all, you know, the scriptures say in, in 1 Corinthians 13, now by faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I think if, if there's no question in my mind one of the basic characteristics of the nature of God is that God is love. And the Bible says we love God because he first loved us mm. and sent his son to die for us. 
So, and, and that love is an attitude. It doesn't begin with a feeling. It begins with an attitude. God's love, it says God cares about us. God wants us to have the best possible life on earth. And he wants to have a relationship with us forever. That's why God said, don't do these things, but do these things. Everything God says don't do or do flows from his love. And if we follow that, we'll have the best possible life on earth. And so I think, uh, you know, the example of God, and, and also here's where Christians have an advantage over non-Christians. Because in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, it says the love of God is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have feelings for somebody to love them. You can even be in a hard marriage, for example, and say to God, Lord, you know, I don't have any positive feelings toward them. I feel hurt. I feel angry. And I know you love them. And I'm married to them. So I'm asking you to pour your love into my heart and let me be your agent for loving them. And God will answer that prayer. And you can actually, if you know their love language, you can actually speak their love language even when you don't feel like speaking their love language. It's a choice that you make. But he touches them emotionally. And, and chances are, they'll begin to reciprocate and ask what they can do for you. So we can't make our spouse change, but we do influence them. And the most powerful way to have a positive influence is to love them even when you don't feel love for them. It's amazing. So I think the spiritual realm is such an asset when it comes to building healthy relationships. Mm, that's such great advice. Thank you. I'll be back after this talking a bit more with Dr. Gary Chapman. Do join us after these. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can help keep it on the web. All you've got to do is buy me a coffee. Head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Matt McClary to make a donation. There is a link in this episode's show notes. So go on, buy me a coffee today and help this podcast to keep supporting Christian books and authors. Well, welcome back to the Christian Book Blurb. I am chatting with the author, um, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, amongst all sorts of other wonderful books as well. Um, before the break, we spoke quite a lot about um, the love languages. And what we like to do on the show, um, Dr. Chapman, is try and get to know the author a little bit um, behind the behind the scenes, as it were. Just, just get to know a bit more of, of your life and who you are as a person. So um, let's start off by asking, what, what do you do for fun? Do you have any hobbies or, or interests? that you enjoy. <laughs> well, let me say this. I enjoy everything I do. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy counseling people. I enjoy speaking. You know, uh, I have worked on the same church staff as a counselor for 50 years. And two years ago, I went in and said to the pastor, I think after 50 years, I should get off the payroll. He said, well, Gary, you're not going to leave us. I said, well, no, I'll be around to do whatever. He said, what if we let you keep your office and keep your assistant, and you can do what you want to. I said, oh, I'd love that. <laughs> so if I'm, in, if I'm in town, I'm in the office because I love what I do. I, I really don't have a lot of hobbies. You know, I don't, I don't fish or hunt. I don't play golf. I, I don't have a lot of hobbies, to be honest with you. Uh, but I enjoy my work, and that's why I, I, I just I plan to keep on keeping on. You know, 
I enjoy yeah, the yeah. speaking. I, I enjoy the writing. I enjoy the, uh, work, working with people. So as long as I have energy, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that That's great. Um, how about favorite favorite foods, for example? Where, whereabouts in America are you based? I'm in North Carolina in the southern part of the, of the United right. States. Right. What, what, what kind of food do you get there? Because I'm not very familiar with sort of the states and the kind of... Well, one of the common foods here is barbecue, but it's always pork barbecue in North Carolina. Right. Okay. <laughs> so barbecue. And I like barbecue, but really, I just like food. Um, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have any one thing that super stands out. Now, I do like sweets, you know, desserts, uh, but I have cut back, you know, to one a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a weakness for dessert as well. I think some of my, my listeners will have heard me um, admitting this at a few previous episodes as well. But yes, it's one of those things that you do have to be a bit careful of. Um, yes, desserts. But oh my goodness, aren't they amazing? Mm, they are. Um, they are. <laughs> um, Dr. Chapman, would you be able to just share with us, I mean, it, it might not be related to love languages at all, but is there something that the Holy Spirit is is doing or or saying to you at the moment in your life or or a message that he's, he's put on your heart to kind of share with others at the moment? What, what's the Holy Spirit doing with you at the moment? Well, you know, one of my favorite uh, lectures, and it's actually two lectures, it's what I call the two essentials to long-term healthy relationships, whether it's a marriage or any other relationship. One is that we meet each other's need for love, and that's the five love languages which we've talked about. The other is dealing effectively with our failures, because none of us are perfect. And you don't have to be perfect to have long-term healthy relationships, but you do have to deal with your failures. And what I mean by that, we have to apologize when we've offended the other person and we have to choose to forgive when someone offends us. Mm. And if we don't get those two in there, we will not have long-term healthy relationships. We can have long-term. Well, I know people have been married for 30 and 40 years, but it's not healthy. They have a long-term marriage, but not a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage, we have to deal with our failures. And we found that in our country, about 10% of the people almost never apologize for anything. And most of them are men, and they learned it from their fathers, who said to them, real men don't apologize. And I say to those guys, you know, your dad probably did the best he could, but your dad had bad information. Real men do apologize. And But the other thing I discovered, and this is what I talk about in the lecture, is that people have different ideas on what a sincere apology looks like. You know, some people, I'm sorry is all they ever say. I'm sorry. And the other person's thinking, you certainly are. Is there anything else you'd like to say? You think you're apologizing, they think you're giving a character report. Tell them what you're sorry for. You know, Don't ever stop with the words, I'm sorry. And, and then accepting responsibility. I was wrong. I should not have done that. And then you know, offering to make things right. What can I do to make this right? And so these are different ways of apologizing, and people have different ideas of what a sincere apology is. And uh, the other, another one is, you know, uh, expressing the desire to change. I don't like what I did. I know I did the same thing last month. I don't like myself in this. Can you help me? Can I get a plan that I won't do this anymore? It's what the Bible calls repentance. It's, it's 
turning away from the behavior and not, not repeating it again. And then the last one is actually requesting forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I hope you can find it in your art to forgive me. And so what we discovered is we typically were taught a way to apologize growing up. And that's the one we speak. If our parents said, tell your sister you're sorry, then that's what we say. But our spouse likely had different parents who told them different things. So we asked thousands of people two questions. When you apologize, what do you typically say or do? When someone's apologizing to you, what do you want to hear them say and do? And those are the five that we discovered. And so I wrote a book. We wrote a book called The Five Apology Languages. And uh, it's really, really helpful for people to learn what does your spouse consider to be a sincere apology. And chances are you're going to find out that one of the reasons they may have found it hard to forgive you is that in their mind you haven't been sincere in your apology. You may have been sincere, but it doesn't come across to them as sincerity. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it does, if, if I had a choice in terms of what would I communicate to people about marriage or any, any long-term relationship, those would be the two primary things that I, would, that I feel led to share. Mm, mm. Great, thank you. Well, our time has almost come to an end. Thank you so much for, for being with us. Before we go, are you working on anything at the moment that you could give us a little sneaky peek at or sort of a little heads up as to what's coming soon? <laughs> I just turned in a manuscript uh, on how the love languages works with adopted children. And I wrote it with a lady who has two adopted children, and she's a professor at Liberty University in the counseling department. So we think it's going to be very helpful. But it won't be out till I don't know, uh, mid-2024, somewhere along the line there. Oh, that's great. Thank you. And have you got any websites, or where can people find the, the quiz to do for the yeah. love languages, or people can buy your books from? You know, what, where can yeah. you point people so they can find you and your books? Yeah, they can go to fivelovelanguages.com. The number five, fivelovelanguages.com. All the quizzes are there. All of my books are there with little blurbs. You can purchase them there. Uh, of course, Amazon, you can always get all of them on Amazon as well. Yeah, that's great. And what we'll do um, for the benefit of the listeners, we're going to put a link to um, Dr. Chapman's website, fivelovelanguages.com, um, in the episode's show notes. So all you've got to do is just click on that from this podcast and it'll take you straight there. Well, Dr. Chapman, thank you so much for spending um, part of this Valentine's Day chatting with us. Thank you so much for being with us on, on the Christian Book Blurb. Well, thank you, Matt. It was good to be with you, and uh, I appreciate what you're doing. So keep up the good work, okay? Thank you. And thank you as well for listening to this episode of the Christian Book Club. Don't forget, we come out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. So do check in again soon for another episode of the Christian Book Club, where I'll be speaking to another Christian author about their books, their life, and their faith. See you soon. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Christian Book Blurb with your host, Matt McClary. Do give it a like, give it a share, and let your friends know all about it. We do hope to see you again soon on another Christian Book Blurb.